0: Hey everyone, this is the Menips and Sips podcast featuring Dr. Brandon Cruz and Dr. Jeremy Boyd. That's me. Today we're going to be talking about intra-articular hip pathologies and disorders. Uh, talking about We talked about IT band syndrome and more extra-articular uh, dysfunctions of the hip. Uh, this time we're going to talk about what's going on inside, what's going on inside the joint uh, and talking about kind of our processes with it um, and how we've kind of evolved over time. Uh, Before I get started, though, let me pass off to my partner in crime. Brandon, how's it going?
1: Going well. Uh, What's today? Thursday. Uh, It's almost uh, 7 p.m. Had a full day today. I was actually mentoring uh, for my fellowship hours. Almost done. I have, after today, about 30, 35 hours left, so looking to finish that up in the next couple weeks. Uh, Then I have the, the presentation down at the AM conference in October, which you and I are going to looking forward to that and also grabbing a couple rounds of golf and uh then i'm almost done with the then i just got to test out for the fellowship so uh, it's winding
0: down it's exciting yeah that's uh that's it and when's that that's a bit of a girthy test right
1: yeah there's a long uh, test out process um it's called a practicum uh you know, there's a hands-on component you have to do, dry-needle component, uh, and uh, statistics and, and research component that you have to be able to to uh, kind of run the gauntlet through, uh, so to speak. So I'm looking at either February, or March. Uh, if you start the program in, in March, I'll, I'll probably wait so that way I'll uh, I'll be around for your first weekend, and uh, I'll participate in the uh, in the weekend intensive there. So
0: looking looking right. forward to it.
1: Hopefully, hopefully, you end up doing it.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm definitely, definitely, probably. Yeah, yeah it's probably happening. As long as there's yeah. money in the bank, it's happening, and that way we can have some uh, some Denver sips over there. Yeah, I know.
1: I know you have uh, a lot going on with the company and everything, so obviously, we're in time. But yeah. But, uh... So yeah, let's uh, let's tap into the hip, uh, especially that you know, since we're doing intra-articular or even uh, things that are mimic what. A lot of people would probably think is intraarticular. but let's let's hop into drinks before we do that. I have. Uh, well, you want to start? You always have a good, interesting, um, interesting drink to talk about. Oh yeah.
0: So, um, drinking glass as always. Start off with the drink. It's uh, a Gose Mango by uh, Hoboken Brewery, which um, we uh, I was enlightened to have. Uh, we uh, had a golf tournament uh that's for your uh i guess business side business there. investing uh for mosaic uh, golf yeah um, yeah i don't know if you want to talk about that but the, one of the uh, people there or sponsors there was uh hoboken brewery so i didn't get to go to the actual brewery uh on my quest of many many breweries but the beer is delicious i'm starting to get into go and sours uh and mangoes always if i'm not huge Flavored beer guy, uh, but mangoes by far my favorite. So this is a real good combination. Uh, got that nice, not overly tart tang to it, so it's just right. Just a hint of mango, and um, drinking. Speaking of Denver, drinking uh, from my Twisted Pine Brewing Company, uh, which is actually my student in Jersey when I worked for my former company. His uncle owned it, so while I was out in Denver last went and go went to go see it so but yeah uh i don't know if you want to talk about mosaic or anything like that but um, yeah we'll get
1: that uh, won't get too uh far into it because we're still kind of working out the kinks as uh as you experienced uh this past uh weekend but yeah it's a golf app it's going to help with uh golf scoring uh for tournaments and things like that uh the bridge version and uh it's something uh my buddy and i are, are uh, working on um and then uh one of the um you know, sponsors for it is uh, Hoboken Brewery. Next time you come up, Jerry, I got to take you down to meet me, Andrew. He's a good guy, uh, and, and get you some more, some more brewskis there. Oh, but, yeah. yeah, so it was a good weekend. It was perfect day for golf. It was overcast pretty much the whole day. Uh, wasn't the fastest round. It took everyone about six hours. We had uh, yeah, over right. twenty people there, so it was a great turnout. But you know, looking looking forward to that getting uh, getting the kinks worked out and up and running. But uh, I have uh, transition to my drink. I have a, a Bibb and Tucker, uh, age six years, one of my my favorites here. I was going to open up my uh, bullet rye that one of my uh, actually interns, uh, Sam, uh, got it for me as, as a gift as he was parting, And he just graduated uh, this past week. So uh, congratulations to him uh, as he's now a doctor of uh, physical therapy and has a job lined up and everything in the city. So uh So I'll, I'll open that next time. I have way too, I was looking at my, my uh, liquor cabinet ish over here and it's overflowing. I just have way too many bottles of open whiskey that I've had like once or twice for (laughs) for the show. And uh, I I need to not keep opening new ones. So I gotta, I gotta start making a dent in some of the old ones here first.
0: Yeah. Maybe you should like have uh, like intermissions in the show and start pulling out different drinks. Maybe that's oh. what we should do. Halfway through, start ripping shots, and then really get our opinions on things. But uh, yeah, that I'd might like, help I'd, you.
1: That'd be nice. Except that'd be like, yeah, slurring my words and and uh, hung over the next day. If I didn't, oh, yeah. if I didn't have work every single day, <laughs> I would. I'd probably wouldn't happen to get sloshed on the show. <laughs> maybe in a couple of years when we're a little more uh, established and we have yeah, our yeah, own yeah. studio and not doing this app on the phone thing. But yeah,
0: yeah, that might be again. We'll, we'll wait till then. But uh, let's uh, let's get back. Let's get into the hip there, uh, Brandon. I know you were just about to talk about some things.
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, let's uh, let's jump off with the. Uh, sorry if I sound far away. I moved away. Uh, let's jump off with the FAI. Uh, everyone uh. loves to think any type of pinching is is FAI, um, or any pot, or you know, you do the the Fideer test, Vader test, and it's automatically FAI. Um, so I want to jump into that because a lot of times it's probably not FAI and there's something else going on and we need to be able to really, uh, evaluate this and, and check some boxes here and make sure we're not just jumping to FAI as a nice umbrella term for any type of hip pain um that's not arthritis so i don't know what your thoughts are on uh on fai
0: yeah or that fai is you know going into that pain science realm it may have been a fai that's been there forever um if you put anyone most individuals into that fader uh position um especially males those sort of things where people limit mobility it's gonna probably be pretty uncomfortable I mean, do it to yourself. Uh, it's gonna be pretty uncomfortable. I mean, Obviously, if it reproduces their primary pain, you ruled out other things. Then, yeah, um, yeah, we can think uh, the FAI or just uh, lib- limited mobility within the hip. But to jump at it the first sign, i oh, do a fader um, test, and that's it. Uh, I think that's kind of jumping the gun uh, with a, with that uh, condition, and um, I'll talk more about how in this last year, I've kind of completely changed my focus of what to attack when I get someone with a positive Fadir test. Um, it used to be pure pull out the belt mode, pull out the belt. let's mode that thing. Um, but it's, it's kind of evolved to a degree, but, I don't know how you want to kind of start things off there, Brandon, but. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, my, my, Evaluation has changed uh, over the years, especially you know probably over the past two years a lot. Um, I've been a six total, and yeah, it was, it was the mob, the belt, and that's definitely it. But really, doubled down on that, that assessment, and I'll do that, um, the Fadear test, but I'll also do it again, to, where I pin down the, the I guess pelvis or the ilium um to get some stability through that lumbopelvic complex and then retest it. And a lot of times that positive test now becomes negative and it's like, all right, well, is it really truly intraarticular? Because if it was, um, that wouldn't have happened. So is there uh, some type of dissociation problem, whether it's motor control or joint mobility wise in that complex, that lumbopelvic complex that's causing it. So that's one of the things I have really uh the honed in on uh as well as well, when I had dry needling um being able to to needle the psoas accurately um at two different spots both proximately off of the spine where it uh where it originates, and then that kind of has that like long um octopus like tentacle that runs all the way down and attaches to the femur uh, needling that as well. I mean, there have been countless times where I've needed that and it clears it up. So I'll use that like as my assessment, really that, that dry needling treatment is, uh, is my assessment and my treatment and then retest them and their pain's gone. Um, so, you know, those are, those are two things that that I've noticed that have really kind of helped and abolished a lot of this stuff and, and save people the undue need of, of having surgery. Um, so, I know you haven't really dry needle too much. i don't know your thoughts on the assessment piece of looking at the lumbo pelvic region um and I know you we were just talking before this, and we've mentioned it before on this on the show here uh treating that that lumbar region or or um the lumbar spine for any type of referred somatic hip pain as well, so being able to screen out the low back first and seeing if there's anything that's recreating um you know those symptoms there. Uh, that may may look at like a FAI
0: yeah um yeah I mean over the or over the years and everything like that it's, it's changed for me as well um as you were saying so kind of piggyback I guess off what you most recently said of uh, the lumbopelvic region and kind of rule out the, the thoracic spine and um that are the sorry, the thoracolumbar spine. Um, is I used to, again for signs hip, it's in the groin region. Um, you know, limited hip and turn rotation. Uh, that's got to be it automatically. And, um, I mean, because most of my, my still to the day hasn't changed. Is my you know, after I've done all my standing, then seated. Uh, assessment I roll right into a supine assessment so while I'm there I will probably look at the hips first Um, and then you know that's when the Fadir test would come in and it's like oh wow it's it's positive so maybe I should go that and then as I evolved with my training it's like all right you know you want to implement some treatment as we're uh, doing the examination to use your Treatment has become part of the assessment and mobilize right there. Oh, they feel a little bit better. Um, but that's when you start maybe finding those cases where, yeah, you can make it better by just mobilizing it, um, you know, causing some descending inhibition towards that area, uh, just moving some more kinoreceptors. Yes, things are getting better, but, you know, is it really resolving things? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would assume that's a case. And then you know, upon talking to you and, and teaching me some of those thoracolumbar lumbar stuff, um, you know, I started putting some some weight into really putting my assessment okay. into into that into the into evaluating just the whole lumbar spine, or uh, in the thoracic spine. And a lot of times it's through your point if you put enough weight into it, it shouldn't matter. Um if it's truly pure of the hip, you press on the spine, it's not going to make too much of an impact on the, on the, on the hip. And, you know, a lot of the times I'm mobilizing or looking at the TLJ and it's reproducing things into the hip. So that's usually a cardinal sign that, you know, it's something that needs to be addressed. And other times, even if it's not so much the case, let's say it's not reproducing anything, things, but I'm fine with my examination that, you know, based on how they're moving, based on where they're hinging, uh, they're doing like back squats and they're feeling it in their hip, but they're not really getting deep in their squats. Um, I'll go and try and mobilize and manipulate the, the TLJ after I get positive Fadir and sure as hell, yes, there may be some decent ambi- inhibition um, and some regional interdependence and that affects things. Uh, but a lot of times that's that's what the patient reports is the best treatment. So um, definitely putting a lot more weight into that. Um, also, something putting a lot of weight into the subjective exam. Um, a lot of these FAIs or groin pains, OAs of the hip, or um, people who who say they're like, oh. You know, just take a good long history. It's like some of these individuals, they'll say, Hey, you know, well, originally story on the outside of my hip. And then over progressively over time, the outside of my hip and the inside of my hip or my groin started to bother me. So yeah. I'm starting to think the real driver could have been something extra articular, could have yeah. been some weakness uh those glute meads, you know like a practical it band sort of stuff as we talked about some other things and if there's weakness of those muscles what's going to happen you're going to adduct a little bit more you're going to internally rotate a little bit more at the femur and so yourself you're kind of putting yourself almost in a fader kind of position with your movements so yep. if you focus on the driver where it all began I mean, it could be chicken or egg. You know, maybe the, mo- the hip start become stiff and those muscles couldn't, you know, go through full range of motion and they became weak or vice versa. The muscles weren't as activated or, or anything like that and then impacted the uh, intra-articular. But if you go focus on the real driver, where things all began, you'll have more of an effect. So there's been times where I'm like, screw it, I'm just going to start attacking the, almost those muscles, if that's how the presentation was or the story was. But, yeah, that's kind of how it was going. I, probably, I went on a bit of a bit of a tear no, there.
1: No, it's all good. Actually, to, to add to what you're saying with, uh, you know, treating the low back, I have just an anecdote here. I had a uh, – he was actually a plastic surgeon, came in. Uh, this is a couple of years ago, and he had a hip replacement, but he was coming in with hip pain and like you know intraarticular hip pain and it's like well that's not that doesn't add up right you you had a uh you had a total hip replacement and so then you know all right we're thinking all right is it septic you know is it an infection and that was ruled out uh because that was the first thing he had he had done plus the the hip replacement was, was several years old so Uh, typically, you know, you'll get those infections uh, usually earlier on. But regardless, that was cleared out. And we're over here treating the low back, and that was recreating his pain. Um, And this was my earlier years. I I think I might have been still in residency. And I remember Bill kind of saying, always always go to the low back. When in doubt, treat the spine. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that just goes to show you, I mean, this guy, you know, he was probably late 50s, early 60s. He's having hip pain intraarticular like hip pain but yeah he had a hip replacement so uh that just goes to what you were saying with with treating the back and putting a lot of pressure on there and i know we're getting a little bit into treatment um but before we get away from that um i'm trying to download the article right now but it's not because uh, my computer is like so full of information um it just automatically saves to the cloud and it's not letting me like download it Currently, but uh, I'm, trying the, the, I'm trying to find the, the article here. I think it's the Yazbek 2011, or the of um, of some of these special tests, and basically they all suck. Um, their their uh, specificity is not that good, mm-hmm. and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me uh, right now. But if anybody, uh, if you guys are listening out there and you want the article, let us know. We can definitely send it to you guys. But the actual most uh, specific test is the Thomas test, which in PT school was taught as, uh, you know, a a rect fem slash hip flexure test or maybe IT band tightness test. Uh, and, And here this has shown that this is probably the closest thing to a gold standard of a test. And it makes sense. Most. Most labral pathologies, mo- most uh, labral tears, are, are um, you know maybe some of those FAIs tend to be the the superior the anterior superior aspect of uh, of the joint. And what does the that test do? It stresses uh, the superior anterior aspect of the joint. So you know maybe maybe some of this stuff is just some soft tissue irritation. Maybe mm-hmm. it is actual articulation. Um, you know and which will help us determine you know do we need to do some some anterior mobs or some posterior mobs some lateral mobs depending on it or like i said earlier do we need to treat some of those soft tissue structures uh that anterior joint capsule um you know to to calm some of that that sensitivity down
0: yeah and that's where as you were talking before that dry needling assessment which unfortunately i've never had the pleasure to can't work with uh can definitely be part of your assessment and part of your treatment there. So um, yeah, I've, uh, I've had some of those individuals with either hip flexor issues and those sort of things that that's when I'll make a, a referral out to, we have a sports massage there, or not sports massage there, but sports acupuncturist local to me. So um, if you can't do it based off of your state guidelines or anything like that, hopefully it's not the case for too long. Um, but you can always make the referral out, but um, yeah, that's a, I think that's what we need to do. Um, And as you're saying, it's like, looking at that lumbar spine. I mean, you really, I think, I think maybe uh, talking to you or maybe the manual therapy uh, workshop or something like really, you know, putting some load through that, that, that lumbar spine. I think we, and if I look at my students, um, that's probably what they miss out for. Really, um, this is really um, putting that putting some load through that, and um, they'll be very light with it. Um, yeah, and um, putting. I, I think when I really started to kind of. Put some pressure, especially if they report, oh, there's some concomitant low back pain um, or discomfort. I think that's that's definitely a, a time to like put some pressure through and you'll be surprised at what you can get. So don't be light. The is pretty resilient. I mean, don't go elbows deep dropping into people's backs mm-hmm. or anything like that. But you know, don't be afraid to like put your body weight into things. You're not well, I a mean, limitless. If yeah. A 90 year old woman with severe osteoporosis and you're trying to make her come back for a second session. I maybe don't do that, but for everyone else, you know, you know, go ahead, put it into it. Yeah. You, you know, it's part of your assessment.
1: Yeah. I'm actually going to go on a little tangent now. You brought that. It's funny people in, and PTs will have no problem taking their elbow and ramming it into someone's erectors to try and, provide some type of quote-unquote ischemic release or trigger point release or, or just the more pressure, the better type of deal. But yet when it comes to joint mobilizations, they don't apply the right force. Uh, and in school, you know, maybe not always necessarily the school's fault because they have a limited time and they have to get through enough stuff. But, you know, people go in, in practice and in clinic and in internships or, or their first jobs okay. or two. And they're probably over-inundated with, you know, high volume or just maybe some older PTs that are biased in their ways and and they don't get the right opportunity. And now we have this whole, um, movement now, especially on social media of, uh, anti-manual therapy and do more therax and things like that. It's like the me too movement of physical therapy. (laughs) And, and these people, <laughs> these people, uh, these, some of these clinicians miss out on, on, you know, the benefits, uh, of manual therapy and it not just being an intervention, but an assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is powerful, whether it's mobilizations or manipulations or, or dry needling. I mean, when this stuff is done right, it's probably the best, uh, assessment possible, Mm -hmm. I I will go along and, and, you know, we've talked about this numerous times on our, our, uh, on our shows here, you know, for we'll be mobilizing somebody assessing them. We'll just throw them a nip in and say, how do you feel? Great. Cool. Took 10 seconds to do. You don't feel better. All right. We didn't waste too much time. Um, But right there, that just gave me so much more valuable information than running through a 45 minute subjective and objective um, special test component. Uh, or evaluation, and then just ending up uh, back at square one with all this random information. Uh, so, you know, for you guys listening out there, don't don't completely just throw manual therapy up the stream. And I know it sounds like Jeremy and I are, are you know, manual therapy junkies, and we are, but we definitely have found the balance of combining it with the right uh, therapeutic exercises or. Even Olympic lifts, depending on the patient, and Neuroglides, and and Therex, and uh, NMR. So it's really just learning how to blend and integrate all this stuff together, and not necessarily aligning with one paradigm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I definitely went on like a, a three or four minute tangent, but um, you you brought up some good points there. I wanted to just uh, elaborate on.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, I think we cross the scheme of therapy and, and exercise with our personal own trainings. I know you have your CSCS, uh, a couple like coaching certs and stuff like that. I have a couple, yes, with weightlifting, CrossFit, you know, no one's more happy than just getting someone fully independent and just doing exercises and getting to their own healthy well-being um, than us. You know, that's something we always want to do, but um, that's what separates our profession from everyone else is, we can apply that manual therapy to provide that window, which will make the exercises or the next training session potentially more comfortable or more tolerable, so they can continue to get better. Um, if you're like not finding that with your manual therapy, I'd you know encourage you to try to learn some new things because. I'm always, I always kind of look at, I was just talking to someone, I do a self audit of myself, uh, roughly every six months, and then at the year marker of just previous, like notes and stuff, just to see my own treatments, and I can see over, like, even the course of a year, and then every once in a while, I'll go back, like, well, I can't go back now to my previous company, but I'll go back to the start of my company, like, my own, and just see the interventions as commonly doing at one point, and then just seeing the one just by natural selection of interventions that get weeded out because I want what's best for my client. Um, so, and it's, you know, consistently manual therapy and exercise, you know, continues to survive. Um, those have been the things that survived in their professional the longest, and we are the ones that are able to provide that so yeah, yeah no, it, i went on a tangent too it's cool <laughs> and
1: it not even no it's good it's it's people people are probably uh well one they need to hear this and two hopefully they find it beneficial but you know even if you're doing the same stuff you know how is it you know how have you maybe slightly varied it or altered it or what's your your mind frame or your your thought process or reasoning behind it that that's what changes and that's probably a little harder to objectify but you know even if you you know, you document. And uh, I had a case today when I was, I was doing uh, my, the training today where I did some nerve glides and I was like, well, that's odd. I, I expected a, a little bit more of a, a response. So, you know, when I went to some other treatment, I came back, still no real response. So I reordered and we, we've done this in the workshops and stuff and it's in the, our, our courses um, where we, you know, I, I decided to do a proximal to distal um, nerve tension, uh, where I did step-by-step, step, I side bend the neck, then I depressed the shoulder, then I abducted. then I added an external rotation. And by the end of external rotation, he was feeling his exact symptoms. Um, but when I did a regular upper limb tension test, uh, median nerve that was traditionally taught, he was unresponsive. So, um, yes, it's, I did a nerve glide. Yes, I did a median nerve glide, but how did I, I bias it and vary it and add different things. And then I also added some, um, uh, glenohumeral joint mobs while I was doing a nerve glide, uh, to add just a different component to it. And that, that really, uh, replicated the patient's symptoms, but not to get too off, uh, on uh, upper extremity cause we're on the hip. So let's, let's go back to the hip. Let's go, in, let's go into treatment of the hip in terms of like, what type of stuff do you do and, and how has it changed? And, uh, I have some interesting stuff, uh, but I, w- I want you to uh, to take us out.
0: Um, so yeah, it's changed. I would say it's definitely changed since probably my last student, or who's now my new hire. Probably right around that time, that's when I really started branching away from just solely relying on those hip mobilizations. Now I still do them. I actually, sure yeah, I did them today. Uh, on a, a powerlifter's got competition in October, um, and again played around with things to get to that point. Um, so, but uh, if we have a true intraarticular issue, a that classic, um, I don't see too many HIPAAs anymore. Again, it's more that kind of if it would be uh, gonna and then also my clinic is mostly direct access. Um, so I, I, uh, don't get too many people with a firm medical diagnosis with the MRI backing it up. It's more based off of my clinical experience and what I perceive it's going on. Um, but a lot of it, so uh, all I've been playing around with is, you know, if I get those symptoms, uh, those limited hip mobility, internal rotation sucks, uh, maybe some flexion loss as well. Uh, you know, even adduction just purely as well. Uh, log roll. It's not that great for is not that great. Um, and it's reproducing their actual symptoms. It's not just, ah, oh, it's tighter on that side. And they're like, ah, that that's it. That's it right there. That's it. Cause it'll get pinchy on people. Um, I, I take note of that. Maybe I'll, as my joint play assessment, I'm going to, even just for a couple uh, oscillations, see how they feel with that. But then I'm continuing, I don't want to start to look at the, the, as the muscle strength, but try you know, doing some mobilizations, either for, of the lumbar spine, or the thoracolumbar spine, either for descending inhibition, or that's probably, you know, where the real source of their problem is. Um, that's where I'll start probably my treatment. If that makes the impact, that's pretty much where I'm going. And most often those individuals, again, I was talking about that chicken or egg sort of thing. A lot of them have some glutamate weaknesses. Uh, may I see that a lot with, um, you know, just standard low back pain, you know, FAI, intraarticular issues, the extra issues. Um, you know, especially in this athletic realm where everything's kind of in a sagittal plane. We run forward, backwards, we squat, you know, in the you know, sagittal plane. Try and test out those lateral uh, structures. They tend to be a little bit deficient in those. So I spent a lot more time working on hip motor control and overall strength of, the, of those, of like the glute med and everything like that. Also taking some account into the um, into the into the core and that kind of lumbar motor control. I think after I don't see too many golfers. I mean, and Brandon we went out to the TPI level one. I always say you can gain something from every course. I enjoyed it. My golf game's gotten significantly better. It still sucks. I mean, as Brandon, would know, I was dead last <laughs> in the in that group that we were in. Uh, probably one of my better driving days uh for sure, but overall suck um but definitely what they thought was, was good, but from a clinician point uh putting emphasis on that single leg bridge test um to really see where yeah, they can hold up and do a bridge, but where are they feeling it within the bridge, which a, a lot of that's branch off the s f m a um so when they typically when they fail that I give them another shot. You know, teach them what they should do. See it again, they still can't gather it. You know, it's definitely part of my treatment. It's like working to improve those sort of things. Um, but yeah, it's it kind of in a nutshell. Uh, then obviously, train to functional or the things that the client wants to do. Like in my powerlifter's case, we did. Um, he's having troubles with squatting, so. Um, we did all those sort of things and then by the end of the session returned to squatting. So in a nutshell, that's kinda where I, where I go with certain things. But what about you, Brandon? Yeah, you
1: uh you hit on all the pretty much main parts. I'm just gonna add one other thing. When it comes to uh mobilizing, uh I think a lot of us forget and, and begin to mobilize just they go straight up into Sagittal and I know you brought up the sagittal plane, which is what we're already mostly in. But when it comes to mobilizing um, either posterior or lateral and things like that, um, you go right out to the the sagittal plane straight up and flex the hips the 90 or, you know, approximate it to whatever's tolerable and mobilize Mm -hmm. away. But we have to take into account the way the, um, the joint, the hip joint is angled. I mean, that's angled, you know, down and out. And we're looking at, if we're looking at a clock, we're looking it's pointing down towards like four or five o'clock. Um, and, and maybe we should AB duck that hip a little bit and see, um, you know, what effects we can get. And if that pain goes away, uh, and if it does, maybe it's not that again, and maybe it's more of that motor control and you have to adjust the pelvis and core, like you were saying, um, we were talking about this in fellowship and we, we termed it hiption instead of scaption. Uh, you know, everyone looks at the the scapular plane and and optimizing shoulder movement in the scapular plane, but that's, uh, kind of looked over, um, when it comes to the hip and we have to remember that the hip is very similar to that. And especially the way it's angled, um, same thing when people do lateral glides with belts, I see people just cranking away, you know, uh, at three or nine o'clock and instead of applying that force, more at a, uh, a four or five o'clock and combining some motions with it. So just, you know, food for thought. Keep that keep that in mind when next hip you touch, what plane are
0: you in? Yeah, that's a great insight there. Um, and then playing around with the uh, mobilizations and movements, if that's their issues, you know, I mean, external and internal rotation is, you know, don't just, you know, just play around with like, okay, I'm just going to do an inferior lateral glide, you know, get them into their positions as well, you know, eventually or test, at least test it out afterwards. So same with like the shoulder, like always do things at 90. I'm like, no, we want to get them as close to where they're having difficulty and really actually start mobilizing there uh, for thinking where the potential, maybe restriction or difficulty movement is. Yeah. uh, I think I see that, a lot, especially with students, where they're taught something once in class and they replicate it, in, obviously in the field. So they don't even know that you know to vary things up. So definitely play around with the the planes and don't be afraid of those painful positions. Obviously, I want your manual therapy should be you know pain free, Um but. You know at least get them to that close point and then show that yeah based off of what we're doing and how we're mobilizing now we can get you into that position without any discomfort so yeah make sure you're not just staying in one position especially seems like those higher volume or those kind of uh eight to four type of therapists where it's just like monotonous a lot it's just like all right i don't think to change my manual therapy And in all honesty, if that's the case, your manual therapy should change with pretty much every session. Um, It should just constantly, it's, it's it's your opportunity to experiment. I mean, all your exercises should be experiments as well, but that's your true experimentation. Play around with ranges, play around with the grades, play around with, you know, stabilizing different body parts or telling the patient to be positioned differently um so yeah constantly try and change things up to constantly make it better for the client um, and constantly make it more advanced and then obviously get them away from it at an appropriate time agreed all right um well in classic Manips and sips fashion uh if you have any questions comments concerns uh we're interested about any of the research articles looking for opportunities for mentorship or anything like that feel free to reach out to us at nips and sips um or on instagram and facebook uh or feel free to reach out to us personally uh brandon's at uh, think like a fellow uh and at pursue pt now i'm at the decent doctor and at traffic therapeutics uh brandon anything left to say
1: yeah just uh last thing we're don't forget that uh, we're having uh, three courses coming up in the next uh, three months here. Uh, cervical thoracic management in uh, October 12th and 13th. Uh, pelvic management, uh, 9th and 10th. And we have the uh, spinal manipulation course December. I believe it's uh, 5th and 6th or whatever that first weekend of uh, December is. So if you guys are uh, interested in um, honing in on your manual skills, or your evaluation skills, uh, intrigued about kind of what we were saying, please take it. If you guys need credits, uh, credits are available as well. So, um, you know, go on, uh, go on our website, uh, pursue PT now and you'll be able to sign up uh, if you guys are interested.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully we can see some of you guys there and, uh, until then cheers everyone. Cheers.